Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Have you ever read miracle stories in the Bible and asked yourself, I wonder if this happens today? My guests today are Josh and Daisy Jones of the UK, who share their testimonies of God intervening in and through their lives. Hear about Josh's miraculous healing from asthma, Daisy's baptism when a Muslim spoke in tongues, and various adventures walking with God both at home and abroad, especially in Israel. They also talk about their interesting journey to Unitarianism, as well as their plans to organize the first Unitarian Christian Alliance Conference in the London area in the summer of 2024. Here now is episode 517, Walking with God, with Josh and Daisy Jones. Josh and Daisy Jones, so great to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining me. Our pleasure. Wonderful yeah, thanks to be for here. asking us. Yeah. To begin with, I thought you could just introduce yourselves and tell about who you are, and then we could get into your story a little bit and uh, your background. So who who are you? Who are the Joneses? <laughs> a unconventional couple, presently living in, in North London. I'm a serving officer in the parish regiment, been so for 20 years in one capacity or another. Um, we have got two wonderful children, Joy and Isaac, five and three respectively. Days, do you want to talk about yourself? <laughs> okay, well, um, I guess my my first role is, is mummy at the moment because I've got a five and a three-year-old and they are an absolute joy. Um, in fact, they're both called Joy because one is called Joy and the other one's called Isaac, which means joy and laughter. <laughs> So um, we're in the stage of still sleepless nights a little bit. I'm still nursing my youngest. So if you hear a cry in the background, I might have to disappear, but such is life. But we didn't want to miss this opportunity um, to speak with you because we listen to you a lot. And, um, you know, we wanted to share our story. Let's hear about how you came to faith. I don't know who would like to go first, but uh, I've heard that in the UK in general and London in particular, there are a lot of secular-minded people. So how is it that you two are Christians? Really, I guess would be my first question. Uh, so who would like to go yeah, first? Yeah, so I was actually born in Australia. I grew up there in New Zealand, the Solomon Islands, Portugal, before moving to England uh, at the age of 12. And as a young kid, I was you know, forced to go to church. My, my parents did have a faith. It is like live and vibrant today, very much so. But I think in the younger days, I was very much just trying to instilling me some good behavior and some good bible stories uh, at the age of 12 I moved to a place called Orpington in, in Kent again just outside London but to the southeast this time as opposed to the northwest where we are presently and went to a really good Baptist church I very quickly fell in love with the word of God there are some really godly men there who used to run the bible study week by week would go and just really enjoy studying the bible um, as I got into my kind of later teens one by one, my friends would leave as the lure of, um, of teenage life just became too strong for them. Um, but I just kind of fell more and more in love with the word. So I remember coming home from school and just like going into my uh, the garage that we had converted and just like reading, reading the Bible and kind of got to the age of like 16, 17, where it was like, you know, if this is real, then if I pray, something should happen. Because, you know, this book is a story of men and women 
having supernatural encounters with a divine god you know every character is almost like a marvel superhero in the sense that something extraordinary is happening in their lives it's not just a blind faith it's it's a living faith and so i just started kind of praying whether it was asking questions to understand what this particular passage meant or personal events in my life answers just started to arrive through all interesting and peculiar avenues there was a big move of god some americans are probably aware of it in 1994 it was kind of aptly named the toronto blessing you know, I, I did sense a change in the atmosphere in the churches. I saw people kind of leading what I'd more say more spirit-filled lives, passionate prayer, activity, sharing their faith. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, and in that period of time, you know, I saw miracles personally in my own life. I was healed miraculously of asthma that I'd been suffering from, from about seven or eight, to the extent where I got prayed for in church and then completely forgot about it because there was a word that, you know, God wanted to heal someone with asthma. And I thought, oh, I had that since I was seven. Unlike my dad, he was like a fantastic rugby player. You know, I once made the B team at the age of seven. And uh, on my glorious attendance on the pitch, I promptly had a, a, an asthma attack within 10 minutes and God rushed to the hospital. So my dad's hopes for a rugby player, you know, wearing the Kiwi jersey were, were cruelly crushed. Oh, man. And those, those guys are epic. Those yeah, Kiwi but, rugby guys, incredible. Yes. And my dad was, he was a fantastic rugby player. And so there I was with my little inhalers, you know, and I was 19 at the time, 18 or 19, 18 I would have been. A few weeks later, I went for my checkup at my local doctor surgery. And I'd completely forgotten about the prayer. And there was a new doctor and I went through all the tests, et cetera. And then I went into her kind of office and sat down and, and she just started telling me off. I was like, what are you doing in here? Like with a really aggressive voice. Why are you wasting my time? And I was just like, what are you talking about? I'm here for my annual asthma checkup. And she said to me, there is nothing on these records to indicate you've ever had asthma. In terms of the tests that I did, in terms of all of the scans and whatever they, what they did for that, for that checkup. So that was an astonishing thing for me. And, um, you know, never, ever looked back. So <laughs> I went the, uh, the inhalers and all that stuff. And how, how old are you now? You don't look 19 to me. No, no, I'm 47 now. 47. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a long track record of not yeah. having asthma. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And so, you know, I got baptized. Um, I led my best friend to to faith, baptized him in the local swimming pool because his family were Buddhists. And if they uh, if they knew that he had come to faith, they would have kicked him out of the house. And and, you know, I was kind of that term on fire. Now, the interesting thing is, is that I was clearly part of a Trinitarian church. And through all my study of scripture, I never believed Jesus was God. And I always knew that my understanding of who God was and who Jesus was, was different from my Bible teachers, from the pastors and this type of thing. But I never knew there was a name for it. I was completely oblivious to what is Unitarianism and the history of the church, the council creeds and stuff like this. I was just like, for me, scripture is clear. But the outworking of my faith was sharing the gospel. And I felt I could do that without having to confront this issue because it was just I was young I was energetic and this type of thing so I took a year out in in that time I felt that the reason why God was 
was going to do this and my father in good kind of Kiwi fashion, because at the age of 15, he was given 500 bucks and told to go make his way in the world. You know, I, I was 18. It's like, right, if, if you don't get a job within within one week, you're out of the house. And that was me you know, on my knees praying. And like literally that day, get a random phone call from a friend of mine who just thought he would call me to offer me a job in the local uh, Silver Spoon Cafe. And I was like, thank you, Lord. So I was living in this kind of vibrant, spirit-filled, love of being in relationship with God. Went to university. I then set up running something called the Alpha Course. Do you know what the Alpha Course is? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with that. Do you want to explain what that is, love? Yeah, it's basically an Anglican introductory course to God, the meaning of life. It's meant to be for beginner Christians and also people inquiring. So uh, it's a very popular course here run by the kind of, I say, conservative evangelical Anglican wing. Um, but it's hugely popular. Yeah. So the catchphrase is, who is Jesus? essentially and um, it's basically questions that was the original catchphrase sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, it's a 12-week course and the unique thing about it is introduce this bit who is the holy spirit so it kind of jumped on the back of kind of the outpouring or whatever term people would like to use in 1994 and it gave people to kind of transition from a, a reading about stuff to kind of stepping forward in terms of an infilling of the spirit now, the, the intriguing thing is that clearly it's a Trinitarian course. And it, and, the, and the, one of the key catchphrases of it was based on C.S. Lewis's most famous phrases, which is either Jesus was either mad, bad or God. Now, clearly, I never believed that. And um, but I couldn't tell anyone that because here I was running this. And I always said, you know, Jesus is either mad, bad, God or who he said he was. And because I was running the course, I was able to just slightly amend certain parts. <laughs> you got away with that, huh? I got away with it. I mean, I knew the book. I knew the book back. I literally memorized the entire book. But what I was able to do was present Jesus as he declared he was. Now, I didn't have the same knowledge as I do now in terms of messianic prophecies. But uh, what I just didn't do was just present Jesus as God Almighty. And the, the amazing thing is, as I recall, genuinely, everyone who completed that course came to an independent, genuine faith. And from this little church grew this really vibrant community. You know, from there, I was involved in setting up a youth group, taking a whole bunch of young kids to church. I mean, things you could never do today, you know, with another kind of friend. We took a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old to church. We only met their parents once. You know, you could never do things like that in this modern era. Yeah, end up um, joining a, a pretty vibrant uh, rock band. And what what did you play? So I played bass. Yeah. So I, I recall one day it was my coming to the end because I studied law at university. Yeah, you know, I'd always in the careers office had always been paras, marines, or submarines. But with this explosion of faith, I always kind of joked that I'm in God's army now. So. You know, this is this is where I'm going to serve. And so I decided to do law. I remember praying in my room that I really wanted to have the opportunity to share my faith with kids in school and stuff like this. The next day I rode from Hertfordshire where I was up to St. Albans and en route halfway through, I met this bloke called Mark James who is now quite a famous worship leader in the vineyard worship movement. And wasn't, well, he wasn't there then. I had seen his band play about a month or so before. We'd only kind of 
shook hands. I said hi. But anyway, we got chatting on the zebra crossing and he goes, what are you doing on Friday? It's like well, nothing. And he goes, well, we're going into uh, the local school with the band. We would like you to uh, to play bass and to come <laughs> and share your faith. <laughs> and um, I wasn't really a musician by any stretch of imagination. I can I can hum a tune, I can play a rhythm and I can move. These guys were proper musicians. You know, I'm the fool who can who can move around the stage. But that was me, you know, on the Friday. There I am in a school sharing my faith. Not four days after, you know, getting my knees in prayer, saying, Lord, I'd really love to, to share my faith in schools with young people. And then from there, joined something called Sound Nation and spent the rest of the year basically touring around different schools, doing that exact same thing, whilst somehow managing to do my law degree at the same time. I never let on that my understanding of who God was was, was different to my choir. There are, there are a few things that I used to kind of say, but again, it was before the age of the internet, from what I recall. I hadn't met anyone with any of the knowledge that you or um, who's, the, who's the chap that um, we met? The Santony Buzzard. Yeah, Santony Buzzard. You know, I just wasn't exposed to, to any of this stuff. And, and for me, it, you know, it wasn't important because I was seeing God move. You know, people's lives were being changed. Can I add an interesting detail, a little factoid? Okay. Josh was in two bands that were unrelated. The secular one was called Dusk and the Christian one was called Dust. So, yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> so, yeah, the one with Mark James was Dust, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was yeah, dust. yeah. Now, I'll kind of just bring this particular part to a close and then we can go over to Daisy and then, and then maybe back to me. In this period of time where I was... I felt very close to God. You know, I spent lots of time just out on the streets, sharing my faith and many many dark hours. And that an incident occurred in the spirit that shook my faith in a way that I just was not expecting. It created like a kind of a, a darkness. And it wasn't that my faith in God was shook, but it was my love for God in, in the sense that I couldn't understand what had happened. And, you know, I struggled with this thing for almost five years. And I went to kind of senior leaders, people who I trusted. But because I was always kind of on the fringe of the churches I was a part of, not so much because of my understanding of who God was, but because I was out there living, sharing, preaching, I never really had that deep mentorship. And when I finally got to speak to the pastor who I really respected, the advice he gave me was terrible. He said, basically, if you can't understand why this happened, you will never trust God. It culminated with me at the age of 25, 26, walking away from everything that I was doing. I remained faithful in season and out of season as best as I could, um, reconciling what had happened. But it got to a stage where I just was broken inside. And so I decided to step back and walk my own path, which I regret doing. And in that time, I did get married not clearly to Daisy, and uh, joined up the army, the parish regiment. There's that amazing verse that, you know, if we are faithless, God is still faithful. And, you know, slowly and surely he called me back. And um, I've got many miraculous testimonies of extraordinary protection and provision and guidance, particularly whilst on operations and stuff like this. And, and my faith has really made a tremendous difference. But the kind of summary statement, so I can break clean and let my beautiful wife speak, is looking back, whilst I was aware of what success looked like potentially in the spirit, using kind of military terminology, what I wasn't aware of was my enemy. 
And I didn't have the maturity and understanding of, of just quite what it meant when, you know, when Jesus said, you know, Satan is the father of lies. And that when he speaks deception, it comes out as truth. You know, we live and fight this battle daily. We see how effective Satan's lives have been in terms of the corruption of some of the most simple statements in the history of mankind. You know, Jehovah our God is one. <laughs> and how they can turn one into a, a plurality. You know, it's just, but how Satan can make, but not just truth in the in terms of words and corrupt stuff, but actually in the spirit as well. And I lacked the maturity of understanding just how, deceptive he can be and the absolute requirement to go back to the scriptures and test everything against the scriptures fast forward a number of years till what about seven years ago <laughs> six years ago <laughs> yeah, you always know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah six and a half years ago well that's marriage isn't we met yeah, before yeah. then yeah yeah in the well, February, it, yeah. yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so do you want to so spend some time on, on young lazy so completely different background. So I'm a born and bred Londoner. My father is British, fiercely Welsh, and my mother's Argentinian. And so um, she's very Catholic and my mother's side of the family are very Catholic. And so um, I grew up Catholic. I was baptised Catholic. I then flew over to Argentina for my Holy Communion. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah. And it was actually quite embarrassing because they they handed me the cup of wine and basically I drank all of it because I thought <laughs> that's what I was meant to do. You were supposed to take a sip. And you I was supposed to take a sip and I took the whole thing and I could hear all my family in the background go shh, shh, bah, 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 like this. But anyway, so, but it was still a good experience. Um, but sadly, that's where my official faith journey ended formally. So my mum... Uh, I kind of see her as a Catholic Marvel superhero. <laughs> so she's she's worked for the Catholic Church for many years now. Well, now she works for a Christian charity that work with persecuted Christians in the Middle East. But she's worked for the Catholic Church for many years. And so Catholic highlights include going to Rome for the Catholic Great Jubilee in 2000 and sharing bread broken by John Paul II and sharing that with my mum. That was pretty cool, uh, even though I didn't identify as a Catholic at the time, but I still believed very strongly in God. And, um, and were you in uh, St. Peter's Square? Yes. In the Vatican yes. For that? what, what an amazing spot that is. It's just amazing. It, it, it really is amazing. It's really amazing. And then my mum also organized um, Pope Benedict XVI, who to my Protestant friends is Pope Ratzinger, I guess, to come over. And that was around 2010. So she organized a big event in Hyde Park. And so I went to see him there, which was a, an amazing experience again. And because she'd organized it, obviously, we were kind of in the front and I had all these bishops and cardinals behind me. And I remember turning round and apologising to them, saying, oh, I'm, you're far more pious than me and I shouldn't really be here and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even Catholic. And I remember a nun who was next to um, this quite important cardinal, uh, she said to me, oh, you're right where God wants you to be. And I thought, OK, well, I'll roll with that. Another notable moment in my Catholic history with a bit of a um, Latin American flavour is a few years ago, I went to the hills in northern Argentina in a place called Salta La Linda, which means Salta the Beautiful. 
And there's a lady there who claims, she says she sees apparitions of the Virgin Mary. Thousands of people come from all over the world every Saturday they come to see her. So even though I was very non-Catholic at the time, <laughs> um, but still a very strong believer at that time and wanting to honour my mum who'd invited me, I went there and that was a pretty mad experience if you've experienced the South American Catholicism. I don't remember seeing a branch on the way up to the hill slash mountain that didn't have hundreds of plastic rosaries on, you know. <laughs> um, and then when you got there, she prayed over you with a rosary in one hand and then she put her hand on you, your head um, and there were loads of people falling over and stuff, but very silently in a very Catholic way, not a Pentecostal way. I do want to hear, I guess I'm curious about the Unitarianism a little bit more because what, Daisy, what you said is that you, you never believed in the Trinity at all? No, I mean, I don't know, you have I like the Catholic? Uh... No, yeah. I mean, I definitely did the sign, but I didn't know what I was doing. But in my head, God and Jesus were always distinguishable, distinct. So then you're an example of a Catholic Unitarian. Right? Do they exist? I, I don't know. I, I'm just oh, asking. I don't know. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I, because I, I didn't even know the word Unitarian. I, it was just my, it was just my understanding of it. I, I never shared it. There was no real forum to share it. Right. But here, here's, here's what I'm thinking about is my own mother. She was a, a Baptist, I think a Southern Baptist. And she said she never believed in the Trinity. Mm. And she was always, you know, she would never use the U word, mm. Unitarian. Mm. But she would, she, but that, that did describe what she believed. She believed that there was yeah. a Father. Yeah, 100%. And then there's Jesus. Okay. So I wonder how many people are in that category even now in Orthodox Christianity, in Catholic Christianity and Anglican Christianity among evangelicals of all different stripes. You know, I, I bet there are lots of Unitarians that, you know, it's not organized in their mind behind a word or, yeah. or a theology. It's just sort of like, it's just sort of fuzzy. Yeah. So, yeah. So those are my kind of highlights of my Catherine, uh, Ka Catherine, oh gosh, sorry, Catholic Unitarianism. And then on my dad's side, so I'll go into a bit of my dad's um, family history because it's quite interesting from a nonconformist Unitarian angle. I come from about five generations of very nonconformist Christian thinkers who wanted the disestablishment of the church. So they were a mixture of Welsh and from the Isle of Man. I don't know if you've heard of the Isle of Man. It's a kind of small island just off the coast of Britain, obviously. And so my ancestors were big on trying to, well, they wanted freedom from worship. They didn't want to send taxes to the Church of England they wanted the freedom to worship and for everything to be decentralized from Westminster, which is still why the Welsh and the Scottish hate the English, because they think that it's still very centralized around Westminster. So my ancestors are kind of famous for 
rejecting the Athanasian Creed for not noticing uh, Lent and not observing Ash Wednesday and things like this. So I like to think, well, we I've just had an update from ancestry.com. I've still got 60% of Welsh blood flowing through my veins. So I like to think I've got a drop of that non-conformist blood in my veins, definitely. Well, at least you don't have the accent or else we'd need a translator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, Welsh is, Welsh is very strong. We Americans have no idea what they're saying. Oh, yeah, I really. <laughs> That's my dad's side. But unfortunately, um, my dad is agnostic. I, I checked in with him last week. He's 85. And I said, Daddy, you know, you still don't believe in God. And he said, no, but I respect your, you know, beliefs and I love you and blah, blah. Uh, as you've mentioned before, the UK is quite a secular landscape. Brits tend to be just quite cynical about everything and just miserable sometimes. <laughs> Maybe it's the weather. I don't know. I went to university. I went to Durham University where uh, Harry Potter was filmed. There I met my best friend who is a evangelical Protestant. And I think she was the first person I'd ever met who was like an evangelical who actually believed in God and was Protestant, I guess. Thinking back through my faith journey, one of the things that uh, really impacted me was meeting her parents and her parents inviting me to pray with them all out loud around the table. It really had an effect on me about how powerful prayer was because prayer for me was always at night and to myself and obviously always praying for other people, but very silent and very solemn in the Catholic way. Whereas this was very dynamic and I felt um, really moved by it. It moved me to tears actually. And I thought this is what I really like this kind of charismatic expression of faith. After university, I also took a year out in Spain and then I moved to Argentina, went to Argentina for a bit. And then when I came back, I did a series of jobs, completely wild different jobs. I've always taught for the last 20 years, but I also did a bit of modeling very badly. And uh, then I also did just other things, other work. I had a shop, I was designing things. It was quite a hectic life, but because I didn't have that kind of firm biblical church foundation thing, uh, I think I kind of drifted off and got very attracted by the esoteric things, new agey kind of things. I kind of got lured into reading esoteric books, reading about the new age and stuff like this, and also made friends with people who were kind of in that environment, I guess. I was craving the spiritual, but again, I didn't really have that firm biblical foundation to realize that it's not what God wanted and it's not what I should have been doing. God really convicted me that I should leave the new agey world. Slowly, slowly, I started to kind of re remove certain items like the Buddha on my, <laughs> on my wall and stuff like this and to get rid of my esoteric books and stuff. I started listening to Derek Prince, who's a very famous Pentecostal preacher. He's died now. He's, he was at Cambridge and he was a philosopher originally, had no interest in religion. And God hit him one night and suddenly he had this big healing and deliverance ministry. And so I started listening to um, his really powerful sermons and they really 
really impacted me. And I remember him saying about his healing and deliverance ministry that he felt really ill-equipped to do it, but he just did it anyway because he thought that God would equip him (laughs) at the time. So that really stuck in my mind. Sure enough, in a very cliched way, I kind of everything was going wrong in my life. And I guess I hit rock bottom. And um, it's the very cliched story. Sometimes I think God's, you know, despairing at some of us going, oh, you know, another one who had who was so stubborn and had to like, you know, get to a certain place in order to accept. Um, So, yeah. So so that's basically what happened is that I text a friend of mine who I, I could see salt and light in him. And I asked him, could you take me um, to your church? And so, yeah, so I drove for four hours one Sunday and arrived at his church and I arrived just in time for the pastor to say that there was someone there. And then he went on to (laughs) describe um, everything I'd done in my life and everything I wanted to kind of clear out of my life. And so my legs just took me to the altar it's never happened since it's ne- it, it had never happened before and there then I gave my life to Jesus in a full um whole way there and then and yeah and then my life changed quite dramatically <laughs> after that uh in a very good way after that I decided to do an alpha course and the alpha course is a very Anglican introductory course to God or to Jesus as they say and the meaning of life, basically. But it's a very, very popular course here. Millions of people do it. It's for those, it's inquiring people who want to do it, basically. And there's a focus on the Holy Spirit, a a Holy Spirit weekend at the end of it. So I decided I wanted to do that. And at the same time, I continued going to this very charismatic Pentecostal church where I had been born again. And I had a love for Jews, Muslims, and the gay community. And I felt like I was going to do something, helping them, serving them, loving them in some way. That's what God had impacted on me at this conservative, very white middle class church. I met a friend who is um, the interfaith minister, was the interfaith minister at Lambeth Palace. Lambeth Palace is kind of Oh, this is a really weak comparison, but it's like our Rome. It's the head of the Anglican church in the world. Yeah. Um, But it's like a pauper's palace compared to St. Peter's Square. But anyway, so he worked there, but he was working with Muslims and he invited me to this party with lots of, I guess, the Christian Anglican movers and shakers. I went there. I was just kind of chatting at this party and he pulled me aside and he said, oh, would you pray? with me and my friend for my friend and I said yeah okay so I went with him and it was him um who I obviously he's an established Christian it was his friend who was a leader at Holy Trinity Brompton HTB is the biggest church in the UK um the biggest Anglican and the biggest church I think in of any denomination it's it's a very Mm. big big branch of churches and they asked me to pray for their friend And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm a baby Christian. What am I doing here? I'm totally not qualified to be praying for these people. But anyway, I prayed for their friend. And normally in that situation, I would definitely let 
the men lead the prayer and especially because they were more qualified than I was in many ways but I started just leading the prayer and the Holy Spirit just gave me words of knowledge about their friend um, about his upbringing it obviously chimed a chord with their friend anyway the prayer went well and afterwards I pulled my friend to one side and I said why did you ask like little old me (laughs) to pray And he said, well, he said, I could tell you were good in dark places, he said. And he left it at that. And I thought, okay. So that was a kind of signpost for me. One of the first signposts that I maybe was going to go into some kind of healing and deliverance ministry. Then when I got baptized, (laughs) I actually ended up doing healing and deliverance on a lady who was there. So When I got baptised, I decided I didn't want to go the church route because all the baptisms I'd seen in church were very fast and furious. And it was like dunk towel, dunk towel, dunk towel. And I thought, look, if I'm going to be completely born again, I need serious prayer and I want it to be intimate. And so I reached out to a pastor and I said, look, would you baptise me? not in a church and he said yeah sure I can baptize you anywhere he's like I can baptize you in the Thames um which is like I don't know the Hudson River (laughs) which is pretty gross or the sea which I thought was cold um and or or your bath and I thought great it can be nice and warm and I'm really happy with that baptism (laughs) so we planned a date when obviously Josh could attend and his sister who's um a big worship leader in 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 a big church in South London unbeknownst to everyone he brought along last minute two people and one of those people was an inquiring Muslim but she didn't announce herself to be a Muslim she didn't say anything and she was totally dressed as a westerner there was no indication she wasn't a hijabi she she was completely westernized so when I got dunked in the privacy of my bathroom she broke out into tongues And she didn't know what was happening. She didn't understand it at all. But when that happened, and as soon as I got out and got dressed, there was a lot of commotion going on. And then uh, she asked me to baptize her. (laughs) So at my baptism, I ended up baptizing a Muslim into the Christian faith. And that was pretty wild too, because, um, well, I'd never baptized anyone And secondly, just before I was about to put her in the water, I had a word of knowledge, basically, that she was here for something really bad that had happened to her. And God was showing me what had happened and the people involved and that she was going to completely be set free from that. So I whispered to her what I could see. She was very shocked. And she said, that's exactly why I came today. because I want to be free from this. And then Josh's sister, who's amazing, she said to her, I see you in white robes before the throne of God, and you are so precious to him. And she, her eyes just totally, (laughs) she just, just totally popped out of her head. And she said, I've had that recurring dream for a very long time, and you've just confirmed again why I'm here so that was pretty crazy and again it was confirmation I had like 
confirmation that one, um, I maybe had a ministry with Muslims and two, that healing and deliverance is obviously for today. <laughs> so then, then out of the blue, I got asked to teach English to Arab, Orthodox, Coptics and apostates. Out of the blue, my friend asked me, she said, would you teach English to all these people? And I said, yes, I would. And turns out the location was the church that I had become born again in. <laughs> yeah, that was actually a real privilege. That was about a year and a half. And I heard some amazing stories about when Jesus visits Muslims, he really visits them in a really powerful way. So like at the end of their bed speaking to them on the motorway, in dreams, in visions. I, I heard the most amazing things and they really left everything. They left their families, their countries and everything. Now, I'm going to say something super controversial. Obviously, I'm already heretic in the Trinitarian world, but I'm likely to be a heretic in every world now. But I don't actually like the word apostate. And the only reason I'm using it is because in the Quran, Jesus is the Messiah. He is Masih. He is Al-Masih, which is the Messiah. He is Masih Isa, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's the word, you know, he's the healer. He's the mender of bones. And so for me, Muslims love Jesus Christ. They just don't understand him in his fullness. And obviously they've got the one God part right. I'm going to get a lot of haters for what I'm saying here, but I've just got to say it. But obviously we think Trinitarianism is the stumbling block for Jews and Muslims. That's just a fact. They can't understand that God can die. And so for me, I was just talking to them about the Jesus I love <laughs> and also teaching them English, which was which was really cool. Then I did a term in in prison, not because I was arrested and went to prison, but um, I did prison alpha, uh, which is the alpha course in prison. So it's introducing the prisoners to faith. And that was pretty amazing because um, obviously I broke all the rules. We weren't meant to hug the prisoners. I hugged the prisoners. What was weird was I, I ended up getting Facebook requests from them in prison. I was like, hang on, he's how's he got a mobile phone? But that was really amazing. And that definitely impacted me massively on my faith journey. I was always naturally Unitarian, but I'd never really thought that clearly, obviously, I never thought that Jesus and God were one person. I always saw them separately. Ironically, yeah, all the Catholic iconography does portray them as completely different anyway. So for me, there was always a distinction between God the Father and Jesus. And so when Josh and I started dating, I just came out with it and just said, you don't believe Jesus is God, do you? And <laughs> And yeah, he paused and I thought, oh, that's the end of our relationship, short-lived relationship. And, and no, and then he confirmed that he never taught Jesus as God when he was running Alpha courses at university. And then I was like, phew. And then, um, and, <laughs> and then after that, I was driving with Josh and we were off to see his atheist pagan druid friends who live with loads of lizards. It's a, that's another story. But anyway, and we were off to see them. And I feel the Holy Spirit prompted me to speak to a friend of mine who is the most knowledgeable 
person with the biggest encyclopedic brain I know on the scriptures and everything else. He was learning Latin and Greek from two. He speaks multiple, multiple languages. Um, he's very, very bright. And I met him doing some, I was hosting some politics events. I thought, okay, I'll text him to see what he thinks about the Trinity. So I, I sent him a message and I said, hey, I know you're on the board of a very ancient Trinitarian society, but you don't really believe in the Trinity, do you? And he responded almost instantly and said, thank you so much for contacting me, Daisy. <laughs> he said, actually, no, I don't. And my parents run a Unitarian Bible study group. So we went to this Bible study group and we met loads of cool people, which introduced us to the uh, very exclusive Unitarian community. Then we got invited to um, David Seaborn Jones, who's lovely and mm. uh, absolutely lovely. And we got invited to his house mm. um, for a fellowship with Santony Buzzard because he was in town. When we prayed, mm. I, I confess that, our dream is to maybe open a church. Mm. Yeah, well, no, open a church here. Oh, and sorry, it was yeah. Anthony Buzzard who said, yeah. I see you maybe opening a church, a Unitarian church in Israel. Mm. Well, that was, <laughs> so, that was yeah. before in Israel? Israel, yeah, yeah. That's before he realised that we celebrate Sabbath and stuff like that. So <laughs> I'm often like arguing with little Carlos on the thing, going, Carlos, pipe down. Although I have a, a lot of respect for a lot of the stuff that Carlos does. So yeah. So Daisy introduced So when, when did you meet Anthony? Maybe three, four years ago. It must be before, before COVID. It was when yeah. Joy, Joy was one. So yeah. it must have been four years ago. Yeah. yeah. Four years ago. Okay. Yeah. So from, um, so I took up this really unique job here in Northwood. Daisy and I, you know, we got married. We moved in together. We started to develop this kind of little community of Unitarian Christians. I started to understand more about the history and this type of thing. And my, my vision still was to look, it was almost like to infiltrate into the Church of England, a bit like a Nicodemus type character in a way, to try and bring about a positive change. Because, you know, I'd, I'd been part of Trinitarian churches, or no Unitarian churches that I was aware of. And um, so I kind of, again, still discreetly, I was, um, because still developing my understanding, uh, and started going for the the Bishop's Advisory Process, whatever, yeah, that the process. BAT, that was it. Because our, our, our real aim, actually, my real aim in the first instance was trying to build unity through community and not doctrine in the first instance. So it was trying to bring about the love and practical outworking of our faith to then demonstrate and bring influence in communities, really, to show the love and, and the positive effects that people who follow Yeshua can bring to a community. And because that's what I'd always seen in my younger days. And it's like my sister, you know, you can break into the hard landscape here in the UK if you go out and preach the word and spirit and faith, because God will be there and people's hearts will be changed. People's lives will be moved. Well, we had this vision to try and unite churches, to get churches to look outside their purview of their four walls, to get people to pull resources, to pull ideas, you know, a church full of old people helping maybe the church with like the young kids you know, get a few churches together so the young people can form a good youth group thing. But basically, all my ideas and work were just poo-pooed, you know, the pastor didn't get back to me. And don't give me a look, having grown up in churches, I've got thick skin, do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not taking it super personally. But when the guy in charge of the BAP I transpired was the guy who was promoting the transgender liturgy in the Church of England, I was just like, 
There is no way in our good Lord, sweet earth, I'm letting <laughs> that chap determine whether I am suitable. So we withdrew ourselves from that. One of the offshoots of the church we were attending was going to be shut down. And um, the thing is, it was full of very beautiful, old, faithful Christians. A lot of them quite set in their ways, but they did outreach in the school. So sharing the gospel, you know, they did work with old people and stuff like this. So we just thought it's wrong just to shut this down. So days and I and another couple stepped up to and we ended up co-leading this church for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was able to do that. You know, we were preaching regularly. So just preaching. We were preaching Unitarianism in a Trinitarian church. Yeah, basically. Uh, but totally undetected yeah. because we were just preaching the word. Yeah. And, and, and most people yeah. don't read their blinking yeah. Bibles. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So it does help when you're preaching from the Old Testament and the Psalms. <laughs> you, you can go under the radar. But it wasn't um, in an underhand way or anything. Mm. It's just we we just preached what was billed and what was written. And, well, and that was it. it. And it wasn't anything underhand. Yeah. Well, you know, with the hope of changing hearts and minds and developing people, introducing people to God's name you know, what it meant to be the Messiah, you know, what were the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible that were then actually fulfilled in Yeshua? Although I didn't, you know, these are terms probably still using the word Christ and stuff like this. But then it just got to a point where, you know, every now and again, there'll be like a a focus on the Trinity and it would just infuriate me massively. And we just got to the point, like, right, we actually want to step outside of this now. We want to have the freedom to really share what's on our hearts. So, in the early stages, it was about community. It was about just sharing the word, the gospel. In fact, we, we used to do lots of stuff on the on the military base where we are here. So running kind of um, messy church for kids and this type of thing. But the the kind of the vision changed to like, I really now want to counter the Trinitarian narrative and take that head on. And also our love <laughs> for Jews and Muslims. Mm. You know, when we were in Israel, <laughs> We're going to have to do another show on mm. on the miracles that happen in Israel. Mm. Um, not least, an Orthodox mm. rabbi running after me and grabbing my arm and asking me what my secret was because I had joy. So I got to tell him about Yeshua and say, you know, I love Yeshua and I love Israel, and uh, had a good joke with him because then he prophesied, mm. and I said, "Wait, you're not meant to do that. You just think the old prophets did that." Anyway, he has been wishing me a happy Shabbat every Friday for the Mm. last five years. And we had other amazing encounters where we just had Jews on their way to synagogue Mm. just come up to us out of the blue, stop us in the street and say, (laughs) and in Galilee, in Galilee. Galilee, And, and this guy just stopped us and he was all in black with his little briefcase on his way to synagogue. And he stopped her. He wouldn't stop staring. And he was about to walk into a lamppost. Mm. So I was like, hey, Anyway, he he just came, he he didn't even say hello. He said, "I want you to know, I believe that Jesus walked on water here." And, and I, then he asked us to share Jesus with him, tell him about Jesus. This is a random bloke <laughs> who literally just walked up to us as we were walking from our hotel down to this to the wherever the town centre is in, in yeah. the, the base of Galilee. I wouldn't literally. really say it was a hotel; it was a shed. But yeah, anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, it was astonishing. I mean, absolutely astonishing. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, so we we, we met this a, a, a Muslim kind of evangelist who'd met a, a, a French guy, was it, who was going to basically convert to Islam. He was all happy and he showed us a little photo of him. Anyway, the next day we had arranged to go and meet this guy, but we were running late. Not that this was the imam guy, just again, speak about stuff. 
and we're in the proper, you know what the streets are like in Jerusalem, completely crowded. Thousands. And then Daisy just says, stop that man. I look around and I, and she's pointing towards like a backpack and like a bloke with a mousy brown hair. I'm like, huh? And so I just went up to this guy and I just stopped him. I said, I do. Do you mind stopping? My wife would just want to speak to you. I have no idea why. Anyway, Daisy comes up. Daisy says, you're the guy who's going to convert to Islam, aren't you? And he goes, yeah, why? And it's like, I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is like one random bloke in thousands. How did Daisy know? Anyway, I said, look, I think we've been given a word and we'd like to just share our faith with you and speak to you, give you a story, this type of thing. And so we end up going to the, where's the beautiful, because the beautiful cafe. Yeah, uh, the Christchurch. Christchurch in near St. Yeah. David's Gate. And um, the Prot- the only Protestant church within uh, the walls. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Have you been there in Jerusalem? It, are you talking about the old city? Yeah, yeah. the old city, yeah. Uh, which gate is it? So David's Gate is the okay. oldest Methodist yes. church. I, I had, uh, yes, I do remember seeing that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, best place to stay, I'd say, and best food. Anyway, so it was getting late and we sat down, we got coffee. And I remember going into the toilet and just praying that God would give me the words to say, you know, help me witness. But um, but I just prayed for God to, to help us, you know, witness to this guy. Anyway, we go outside and there's no one around except this old woman kind of sitting maybe 10 meters away from us. And you know when you know that someone can hear what you're talking about and they're but they're trying not to be too obvious that they know that they kind of almost want to get involved in the conversation. And so she's rattling a little chair. And so I just went over to say, and just kind of introduced myself. Well, I can't remember quite how it happened. Now but, I told you, invite her over. Yeah. And basically up rocks this kind of 80 year old Palestinian Catholic woman who takes over the conversation with this young French guy and gives him the most amazing testimonies of God's healing, of God speaking to her, of this vibrant faith of this old Palestinian Catholic woman. And we were just blown away. <laughs> it was just like, wow. And she spoke English? Yeah, yeah, she spoke English, yeah, yeah. And the reason why she was there was because she was waiting for a friend who never turned up. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. I saw her on her own, I felt sorry for her, I was like, come on come yeah, over and yeah. then she did she did all the evangelizing for us yeah. and then that was it that was him back to being a christian again yeah well that's great it's great to hear that god is at work today and that, that's really the message that's shining through from the two of you your testimony your your experiences that's so great so tell us about this conference that's coming up you guys have a a, a plan and you have co-conspirators and you're uh we've you're hooked hope- up with the christadelphians it's a miracle <laughs> no, i'm joking no 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 we charismatics love- and christadelphians working together it is a miracle <laughs> absolutely the uca i think is a wonderful resource um i i use uh, a lot of it and um i do hope to become a more active participant in in videos and, and debates as we go forward but i there was this real sense of an opportunity to try and build a community of Unitarian believers here in the UK. And actually, I think uh, an aim for a conference is a fantastic idea. The vision very much aligns with what the UCA wants to do. You know, Daisy and I represent a, I think because of our background, we're quite comfortable speaking with Unitarians and Christians from all different flavours. And so therefore, perhaps, I wouldn't call us honest brokers in every respect, because we do have our own particular kind of um, where we lie on certain issues. But 
The unifying call really was, I think it's Romans 15, five to seven, you know, may the God of patient endurance and encouragement grant you all to be in agreement with one another. So that with one mouth and one mind, you might glorify the father of uh, our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Uh, therefore, accept one another just as the anointed one has accepted you. Although that's not <clears throat> the official strap line of the conference. It is not. But the, that, that's the vision, really. One mind, one mouth, you know, come together to in unify, in, in, to kind of learn about and share our faith mm-hmm. in God the Father, the one true God. And, but also to reach out across Europe because, um, you know, Europe, there are a number of, you know, little strongholds of Unitarian Christians across Europe. And so it's an opportunity to, to pull people together. The great challenge however, is finding a location. And the Trinitarian churches basically were turning around saying, no, no, no. So my plan was, and hopefully no one from, it was to find a a church that has perhaps become more liberal in their leanings. And there's a particular um, denomination where sadly they've sold off more than 50, 60% of their churches in the last four or five years. They've amalgamated. They are very much fall under the liberal banner. But actually the nice thing is that presents a freedom and an opportunity. So we found a, a wonderful location now where they've agreed that we can host it. I'm not going to say where it is at the moment because I need to go down and do the, the recce, but it, everything seems seems fine. Is it near London? Yep. Yep. It's near London. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that, yeah. that gives people a, a rough idea of where, where to go. Oh, yeah. And it's a beautiful historic, historic, location. historic location. So everyone would love to go there. And I think that's the angle we want. We want to entice the Americans here with a historic <laughs> angle perspective. You want Americans? <laughs> I know. Yeah. No. Well, we we want the whole board to come. I think that I think the whole board have said they'd like to come. But no, we we want to focus it on the kind of restorative aspect, restoring the faith back to what we believe is the original first century Christianity. Um, this is our little. Mm. historical bit but it you know i mean it is pretty historical to have a uca conference in great britain in the united kingdom you know and um and that's why we want to incorporate Mm. the other activities like a day at speaker's corner where we've met lots of unitarians and you know and we we'd love to also organize a debate with dale as we're discussing and planning so it has been tricky as josh said because we always get initial yes, yes, of course, and then I w- and then I've always had to ask them, can you just check with your board that this is okay? They check with the board. It's like, sorry, your theology sucks. You're not welcome. <laughs> and and so this has happened like I don't know twenty plus times now. We've just been asking, asking. But anyway, I think we do have a location. Um, to be disclosed soon. Very picturesque, very beautiful. And, and you I have think- a time when it will happen. Yes, yeah, so in July next year. Was it the we? last weekend in July? It's July next year. Let's yeah, not yeah. Just, it. So we would like to maximise it because July, August, September is holidays for Europe as well. Is um, if we can link it in also with um, maximise your opportunity for the Americans to come and you know, and good weather because we've had. Well, yeah, <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Is it the case that in July there might be like a day or two without without rain? Yeah. No, I, I think I think London gets a bad rap. I think in the eighties and nineties yeah. it rained more than it did now. Yeah, but definitely. I mean, we we've had I think I'd say three weeks of of a summer of, mm-hmm. of great, and now it's back to like blankets and whatever. Yeah. Uh, sadly, but no, we would like we would like to do it yeah. in the summer. I and think. yeah, we've reached out to different you know through this process. We know 
developing relationships with Unitarians in more European countries that I was unaware of. So, you know, one individual in Copenhagen knows some people in Norway, people in Norway know some people in Denmark. So that that, that is developing. And and also here in the UK, we're really developing our, our understanding of, you know, there are different large Unitarian communities. Um, Big messianic one. Yeah. And we kind of quasi-messianic, um, aspiring messianic. Yeah, and so... You know, God willing, it'll be an opportunity for for people to come and meet, and also new, you know, those newly out of the Trinitarian faith, because God willing, by next year there's going to be a lot more of them, mm. you know, and so it's that uh, chance, that sense of belonging, and some some good teaching. When you are a persecuted or an isolated minority, you know, you can put aside a lot of these other issues to to meet together and uh you know i think if if the conference can be a place where people don't feel pressure to conform to one doctrinal package other than unitarianism can really spur on a camaraderie rather than a competition uh between groups yeah that's what it's done in the u.s and so many of the groups in the u.s Especially people from my background. Not, I was never really in the way, but my parents were. But they all built these kingdoms, and they built these walls as t- as high as they could, and they, and it was all loyalty based on oh, are you with this person or are you with that person? And uh, that was my parents' generation. In my generation, what I've seen overwhelmingly is the tearing down of these walls, mm-hmm. and overwhelmingly people saying, well. Maybe we have some disagreements, but that's okay. I'm not intimidated by you. You're not intimidated by me. So let's work together as much as we can. This is really a period of of building in the Unitarian movement because we're not persecuted. We're excluded. I can't attend certain conferences. I can't attend certain universities. I can't get published by certain publishers, right? So I'm excluded, but I'm not actively persecuted, okay? And so... We have an opportunity to build, to build coalitions. To, and, you know, the UCA is an alliance. It doesn't mean you're friends. Churchill and Stalin were an alliance, <laughs> right? They weren't Amen. friends. They didn't even like yeah. each other. But yeah, they, yeah. They, they, were, they were allies in World War II. So that's really a starting point. Hopefully it goes beyond just sort of like putting up with the other person. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to see that softening happen. And, where there's banding together and pooling of resources and, 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 you know, marketing and getting the message out. Because I think there are, I think you're right, there are all these sleepers yeah. in the churches that are just yeah. like, yeah, that never really made sense to me. They just didn't have a word for it. Uh, and I think we can agitate for a truth revolution within Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't you? Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think another interesting thing is that the Christadelphian church here have incorporated a thousand Iranians. So not for this conference because they're English. They've just come and their English isn't great. We, we're not going to spend the whole conference, you know, finding translators, Farsi translators. But maybe in the subsequent conferences, you know, we could have a whole bunch of Iranians and Iraqis and people who, who found us. It is wonderful that we have this opportunity to branch out and, and, and share ideas and stuff like this. Well, well let me come back on the, the Iranian comment. It's interesting because I, I did a, an interview with Sam Tiedemann on Afrahat, the Persian. And Afrahat is a little-known Christian from the 4th century who was a Unitarian living in the land of Persia, 
which is the land of the Iranians who speak Farsi. Sounds like the word Persia, right? So <laughs> you can say to the Iranians at, when they're at this conference that they can have ethnic pride in Unitarian Christianity going all the way back to the three, three, 320s and 330s and 340s. Wow. Um, wow. Right about the time that Constantine died and uh, Athanasius was agitating in the West, in the East, Afrahat was writing his demonstrations. So you have, you have to check out that um, <laughs> interview there. But uh, there, there might be some coming full circle with these Iranians. You know, they took a, a little detour to Islam for, uh, you know, 13th centuries, 15th century. But now they're back, you know. <laughs> so I'm so excited about this conference. Um, how can people hear more about it? I suppose we'll post it on UnitarianChristianAlliance.org. Uh, or, or do you have other ways people can find out? Yeah, we need to square away the venue officially. So we're in the final stages of that. And then we need a bit more back and forth with the board, just confirming everything's cool. And then we're going to push, push, push. Yeah, as I said, so we're lining up some, some hopefully some really some high profile debates, some practical activities um, and some activities left and right at the conference that if people want to attend that are not bespoke as part of the conference. So, you know, visits to the British Museum where they've got this great Oh, I've always wanted to go to the British Museum. Yeah, amazing! Yeah. It's um, amazing. You, need, you need about a week, right? It's, yeah, isn't it just so big? <laughs> so um, yeah, and then we'll do we'll do um, you know we'll get stuff out on Facebook, on yeah. YouTube. We'll pass it around all the Unitarian commentators yeah. so they can put it on their different podcasts yeah, and stuff Facebook like this. groups and Twitter yeah. or X, whatever we call this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The social media now. That sounds really great. And is it is it mainly targeted at academics, or is it more practical or inspirational, or how would you characterize? It's going to be everyone. Yeah, yeah. So we would like it to. We're gonna we're going to model it on the U.S. model. So combination of academic, theological, practical, personal, a whole um, smorgasbord of um, of Unitarian fellowship. And we're, and we're trying to make it as affordable as possible. So initially, I think we did want the big grand venue until we got the invoice. Uh, <laughs> and then we were like, oh, actually, you know what? We do want students coming. And also we want everyone to be able to afford to get both a plane ticket from Europe and to be able to afford to, to come. So I think we're, we're also looking at catering, in-house catering, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So um, I think we're moving for the first conference. It won't be residential, which is what we were hoping for at the beginning, but it will be more affordable overall. Okay. We hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is near London, so we can't <laughs> we can't oh, think yeah. it's going to be too inexpensive, right? It's a big city. Yeah. So. Well, you'll be surprised. As I said, I've uh, I've hopefully applied a bit of my my military planning to this to this little uh, conundrum, and a bit of spiritual cunning and wisdom in terms of. <laughs> And um, because you know we're not blessed with America, we've got your giant super churches everywhere. We just we just don't. Yeah, you know? Well, anything else uh, you guys want to share real briefly uh, or say before we close? No, I just say thank you once again, Sean. Um, you're an inspiration. Yeah. You know, you've made a real difference in people's lives. You know, fulfilling your mission in 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 you know in love and in kindness mm -hmm. and and with a good dash of humour. So uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is brilliant. <clears throat> yeah, nothing apart from gifts for today, and we love Christadelphians, and we're really excited to be all working together. That's it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Blessings. Keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings this episode to a close. What did you think? Come on over to restitutio.org and find episode 
517, Walking with God, and leave your comments and questions and feedback there. Well, we got a new review on Apple Podcasts. This is from user Z99184U. Real catchy name there. Anyhow, this person writes, Love this podcast. Very informative, even for the layman. I love the How We Got Our Bible class and also the Early Church History 500 Years class. Well, thanks for that review. It certainly does help people find the show. I'd like to point out that on Restitutio, the website, restitutio.org, under the Classes tab, we do have quite a few classes in the archive now. We've got a class on early church history, scripture and science, son of David, one God overall, why Christianity, how we got the Bible, a parenting seminar, an evangelism seminar, a theology class, the class on the last 500 years of church history called 500 from Martin Luther to Joel Osteen, a class on the kingdom of God, a class on apologetics, and the first class was on the historical Jesus. So take a look at that if you would like to see other classes. Maybe you've taken one or two and there are others that you haven't heard of yet. It'd be a great place to go to find out about them. Also, there is a separate podcast feed that just has classes in it. It's called Restitutio Classes. And there's no interviews or sermons or other kinds of content, just the classes, one after the other. And that's probably the easiest way to take any of these classes because they are predominantly audio, although some of them are on YouTube as well, which you can access through the website, like I mentioned. So take a look at that if you haven't already. We've also had a lot of interaction on my recent blog post, Are the Gods of the Nations Demons or Mere Idols?, in which I discuss the Hebrew word Elilim, which means weak or powerless, but gets translated idols in Psalm 96.5. So if you're curious about that, uh, a number of people have commented in, uh, too many to really to read out here, but check that out at restitutio.org. And thanks for all those who have commented in with some good thoughts, both on the blog post and on the Facebook group. Speaking of which, are you yet a member of the Facebook group? Why not join? What are you waiting for? Come on over to the Rest Studio Facebook group and see what people are posting. We post the weekly episodes there, and sometimes people have comments off of that, and other people post all sorts of interesting stuff. Well, that's enough for today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. What a great interview, huh? If you'd like to support us, you can do that at restitudio.org. We'll catch you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.